Good evening. How are we doing tonight? Pretty good? Um, hey, announcement just came in tonight, and that is if you have um, candy, if you have an extra bag of candy, you went shopping this week at, at one of the stores and picked up some candy for Halloween, and you have an extra bag, uh, we're doing a partnership, I believe, with Chandler Regional Hospital, and they're doing a, a candy drive, and, uh, and they need our candy this weekend. And I think the announcement was for two weeks. And so you may have thought, well, I've got an extra week. And you really don't. And so even after tonight, if you want to run out and get a bag and bring it back, we're usually here till 8.30 or so, quarter to nine. Or throughout the week, drop it off at the office. Um, and Mike, I'm not clear. Can they bring it actually Sunday morning? Would that be, is that even possible? Thank you. The event is actually Saturday. Oh, I'm sorry. So okay, good. The last pickup opportunity for them is going to be Friday afternoon. So we would appreciate any donations that are available. And the office, Mike, if they drop it off, can they come here throughout the week or do they have to go to the office? No, they can bring it here or the office, whichever is more convenient. Great. And the office is located where? Uh, southeast corner of Pecos and Cooper. Great. Okay. So we need your candy. Yes. Is chocolate okay? Yes, yes chocolate's fine. Yes, absolutely chocolate is good. It's preferred. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Last week we ended uh, discussing this idea of who God is and who we are. And I think we concluded by acknowledging the fact that we are not God. And thank God we're not God, and, and God is uh, not only all-powerful and all-wise and all-knowing, uh, but he cares deeply, deeply about you and me. And the one thing that I think we walked away from last week is that God doesn't change. And so, though our relationship with God, we feel like, changes because we change, God doesn't change. And that God loves you as much as he did uh, the very first inkling he created you. He loves you as much as he did then with all of your faults and failures. And James wants to make that clear to you and to me because after verse 18 of chapter 1, we now launch into what is commonly known as the, the New Testament Proverbs. And we're just going to go action after action after action after action. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in the idea of just doing the checklist. And I want to make it clear as we embark on this journey of actions together, if you will, that it's anything but a checklist. And so as we talk about the first couple of things that James recommends we try doing, uh, I want you to really have a heart check. Um, and, and here's the reason why. Um, if, if we can throw the PowerPoint up, um, take a look at... at Take a look at this. You may have seen this before, right? Both lines, uh, both red lines are the same height, though it looks different. Um, this one, uh, both, uh, it, they're all the same color, um, even though they look like they're not. Um, both monsters are the same height, even though our eyes are telling us something different. One looks smaller than the other, and actually they're... They're the same. All the, the lines are the same length. And we struggle with that because we look at first blush and it looks like they're different. And, but in reality, you could measure them out. They'll all be the same. The balls are, are the same size, same circumference. And these towers are actually the same angle, even though one looks different. And we wrestle with that because... In our minds, we see things that seemingly are different. And when we look at our lives, we look at the Christian life versus maybe the non-Christian life. We come alongside of, of the world and we say, hey, I'm different. My life is different. My actions are different. And my, my activities are different. When I go to church, that's different. I give money to charity, et cetera, et cetera. And yet I wonder sometimes if we're really just kidding ourselves. Maybe it's an optical illusion in your life. Maybe that your life really isn't that different. You just think it's different. But when we pair you up against maybe what a non-believer's life looks like, it really doesn't, really doesn't look a whole lot different. And James is going to spend really the next four chapters, gang, giving us ways that we can demonstrate to the world our lives have been changed. And really that's the whole point is to be a light into a dark world. Well, there's going to be no difference if our lives aren't changed. 
And, uh, you know, you may have read a little bit of ahead, and the next couple of weeks we're going to start talking about this idea of faith plus works and, and how do I work out my faith, and, and that may cause you some unrest. There's been some discussion if, if James and the Apostle Paul were ever friends and if they could ever get along because Paul champions throughout the New Testament the idea of I'm saved through, uh, by faith through grace. And, you know, if it's not for God's grace, then who am I? And so I don't live in a works-based environment. And we hear that and we champion that and we love that. And then James comes along and he says, yeah, but you got to live out your faith. How do I know you're a Christian if I can't see it, not just in your words, but in your life? And this is where it gets a little tricky because, again, I don't want us to live in a law, in, 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 in a game of rules here. Yet, on the other hand, um, I need to be able to look at your life. You need to be able to look at my life as a Christ follower, and there's got to be some difference. There's got to be some new life breathed into us. Otherwise, we are living a life of what many challenge the church with, which is it's just full of hypocrites. I was telling my students today, um, I was quoting uh, something from Chuck Swindoll, and Chuck Swindoll basically said, listen, parents, if you want to damage your children spiritually and emotionally, then be a hypocrite. Tell them to do things that you're not doing. Tell them to go to church and learn all the things out of God's word and tell them that you believe in that but don't live it. If you want to damage your kids, go be a hypocrite. And I said to my students, I said, you know, and I honestly believe this, I, you know, my parents' generation, so I was born in late 60s, so, you know, track with me here. My parents' generation, that, those were, were coming up, the boomers, uh, you know, I don't think they, I, I think they said what they meant, and they, and they did what they said. And, and, and again, we're in the first generation, really, where, uh, where financial woes are beginning to hit us because... The credit industry is starting to take off with the boomers, and they're figuring out that I don't have to just work hard, I can also play hard. And so along comes Visa and MasterCard, and they say, oh, you can play real hard at 16.8%. And so the boomers are the first generation to incur a lot of personal debt. And so they're, they're really, they, you know, my parents' generation comes along and says, we're, we're struggling here, but we're still trying to do the best we can in terms of living out what we know to be true of the Christian life. Well, then my generation comes along, more of the, the Xers, really, and we're the ones who are challenging authority and asking the why question. And, and we're living under this, this upbringing of, okay, yeah, we have some debt, but it's not incredibly out of control, and we are still working hard. And, but my generation really is the first generation to start the pendulum swinging way to the other side of, do I really need to work that hard with my Christian life? God, I hear what you're saying, and I know what you're saying, but do I really need to own this? Can I just ride on the coattails of my parents' faith? And what I told my students today, and I firmly believe this, is that they are going to be the first generation where, you know, I, I really think we're on that edge of sliding off into massive hypocrisy. Where it really, being a Christian is simply a title. It's just a name. It's just a, it's just a club or a group I belong to. Because, guys, book after book after book is coming out now with people your age and my age saying, where has the passion gone? Where has the discipline and obedience gone? We grew up, probably you grew up, and I grew up reading books about uh, spiritual disciplines and how to, to be obedient to God, right? And, and you would hear things like, when's the last time you fasted? It wasn't if you're going to fast, but when's the last time you fasted and for how long? It's a dangerous subject when I ask teenagers today, when is the last time you fasted? Very dangerous. I have to go back to explain what fasting is. And if I have to explain what fasting is, you know how much they fasted. Spiritual disciplines are taking a back seat to what is, what is comfortable for me. And so I said to my, my group of teens today, I said, guys, you could be the generation that could turn this thing around. You could be the generation that you can claim that we're imperfect as a Christian, as a body of Christ. You can claim that, that we may not know a, a, enough scripture to, to support a whole bunch of theologies and, or arguments and defenses. But one thing you can't claim about this next generation is that we're hypocritical. That we're imperfectly authentic is what I tried to explain to my students. I said, go out and be the generation that's imperfectly authentic. And you'll win scores of people to Christ. Uh, David Kinnaman wrote a book 
called uh, Unchristian. Some of you may have read it. And in that book, he lists uh, some of the top reasons why people quit coming to church, why they're unchristian. Um, and if you're tracking with the, the series we're doing on Christian atheism. And, and so, so Kinnaman says, uh, you know, people are coming to the conclusion that it's not anymore, well, this is an old time religion. It's not anymore, well, religion's tied up with politics and it's personal and we just don't really talk about it. What's becoming to rise up to the top of the list, especially with our young people, is you're full, it's full of, church is full of hypocrites. And, and I don't know a lot, but I know this. I don't want to live my life as a hypocrite. So if I've got my friend who claims to be a Christian and his life or her life looks, looks no different than mine, if I've got my friend's parents who their lives look no different, but they claim to be Christians, they drag their kids to church every week, but nothing really, there's no net gain in their life, then why would I want that? And so rather than, rather than depress us for the evening... What I want to do is I want to launch into this, this, these next four chapters here with this goal, which is, God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. So if there's something that you can teach me tonight, God, about, about my life and where it's fitting into what we're, what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, then God, please teach me. Please, please let me hear your word accurately, but effectively, so that I walk out of here making changes in my, in my life. So here's what James has to say. If you have your, if you have your Bibles, turn to, uh, turn to verse 19. He jumps right in, in verse 19. And he says, he says, uh, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone be, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting away aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And then he goes on in verse 22, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word. In verses oh, 13 to 18 or so, we're talking about God and his word. In verses 22 and following, we're talking about God and his word. And yet we have this little interjection here by James in verses 19 through 21, where he says, but everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so I was thinking about that. Why, why would James just insert this little phrase of three directives, really? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Amidst talking about God and his word. What would be the point, James? And so, uh, so I want to come at this two different ways. The first way, which I think is the primary meaning of the text, is James is simply saying this. You're going to hear a lot moving forward about being obedient to the word of God. And guess what? It's going to cause you to make a decision, which is I agree and I'm changing my life because of that. Albeit difficult, albeit unpopular, albeit contrary to culture, but I'm doing it anyway or I'm not. And so when James begins his directives, if you, if you will, his, his commands, he starts with, listen, before we get going with the checklist, do these three things. As you read God's word, be quick to hear it, be slow to answer in rebuttal, and be very slow to get angry over it. Quick to hear, quick to, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So what is, really, just ask and answer yourself, really, this question. What does it mean to be quick to hear God's word? What does that look like? Just, just shout out, really, what you think that that looks like. What does it look like to be quick to hear the word of God, in your opinion? As opposed to, maybe, if I can help here, just hearing the word of God. What's the difference? Why would James add that, uh, is it an adverb, I don't, is it? Quick to hear. Why would he say be quick to hear but not, and not just hear the word of God? What's the difference? Yeah, you're exactly right. When I go to the store, if I say I, I got to go to the store, I got to go to the store. But if I say I really have to go to the store, I'm quick to go to the store. You know I have to go to the store. And I can entertain different, I can multitask while I'm going. But whoever's in the passenger seat knows one thing and that is I have a destination. I got to get there. Think about when you're talking to someone. 
How would I know if you are really listening to me? How do I know that? Well, let me just flip it then. How do I know when you're not listening to me? Body language? The, the response I'm giving or, or I'm getting from you? For those of you who have, uh, you know, we live, uh, live and die on our cell phones, uh, you know, this is kind of etiquette 101, but I can tell right away because when that ding goes off and you have a text coming in, uh, seriously, are we not the, the human, uh, you know, analogy of Pavlov's dogs? I mean, that bell goes off. You have to look. For some of you, it kills you not to look. Who has to turn their ringer off at night? Because if it goes off at two in the morning, you'll get up and look. We're just conditioned. Ding. So if I'm engaged in a discussion with you and you hear the ding and I hear the ding, we now have an interesting little eye dialogue here. My eyes say to you, do you care enough about me to not look? Please don't look. For everything you've got in you, please do not look. And you're looking back at me saying, I really, I got to look. I got to look. I don't want to. So what do we do? Oh man, we're good at it too, right? And, and half the time, most of the time, it's nothing. Nothing important. I, I mean, I love talking with people. And if they say to me, listen, I'm, uh, you know, I'm expecting an important text coming in or call coming in. Of course. But that's not what happens at all. And, and so I end up saying to the person, because they're in angst over this, I say, just look. Just, just look. Save us both the, the awkwardness right now. Just, just look. But in that very moment, what have I concluded? You're not quick to hear me. And it's not that their intentions are horrible or wrong. It's just that we are so tempted with other things to come in when we're trying to hear the word of god other things come in and influence us and so james says be quick to hear the word of god now he can he adds to that then be slow to speak quick to hear slow to speak and what i think he means by that is you're going to hear some things that are going to press you and so before your knee-jerk reaction is just to fly back with some justification as why you don't have to do it just take a pause. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. At one point in our lives, my wife and I taught a course called Adventures and Attitudes. Mm. And the first part of that course was communication. And the most important part of communication we learned through that experience was listening, not talking. Yeah. And the problem is that most people, as, they, as you assume they're listening, are planning what they're going to say sure. without really listening. Yeah. And so, um, and I'm guilty of that. Yeah. You know, I, I do the same thing. And here I'm trying to teach this course about communication and right. listening. Right. But that's what we learned, that listening was the most important part of communication. Absolutely. And James comes right back. Listen, guys, we have, I was looking up some stats. We have, we have 500 million Twitter accounts. Now, again, not all of them are, you know, you may have signed up a long time ago and got off it, but let's just say even half of those are active. 250 million Twitter accounts where people are, are, are quick to speak, slow to listen. 42 million, did I have that right? 42 million blogs are online. And granted, a good number of them are business-related, or but how many of those 42 million are just personal blogs? Quick to speak. you got to hear what I have to say. Um, 500,000 new posts a day. Half a million new posts a day. Now, I carried a blog for about a year. If you've gone through something, if you have an ailment, if you think that what you have to share in terms of a life experience or academic knowledge will help me, great. It's a great medium to share information. I get all of that. I also get the other side of it, which is, hey, I think people want to hear my thoughts. And so I just get on and just start rambling and musing and meandering through my little world that I think is so incredibly interesting 65% of those blogs, by the way, haven't updated in the past year. Because what we realize is maybe people aren't that interested in what I have to say. We are so quick to speak 
and slow to listen. And James says, no, 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 no. Quick to listen, slow to speak. And then he adds this third thing, which I found interesting. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and then slow to get angry. I wonder why he chose anger out of all the emotions. Is it really possible that James is saying, I read the word of God. He tells me to do something. I don't like it. So I begin mentally rebutting whatever he has to say. But eventually I'm up against God's word. And over the years, I've I've learned one thing and that's God's word never changes. So I keep coming back to it. The same passage over and over and over again. And it's a directive toward my lifestyle. And James is saying, or the scriptures are saying at some point, change your lifestyle. And so I hear it and then I mentally rebut, I hear it, I mentally rebut. And then finally, James says, I think for a lot of us, we get pushed to the emotion of anger toward who? Toward God. Slow to, quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to get angry because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Yeah. What I was going to say is we don't, we absorb what the Bible says. We need to absorb that and be slow to um, react to it, but even slower to anger. And it's just one of those things that it's hard for us to do in our life. Yeah, but why? We don't believe. Yeah, it's a non-belief. Well, yeah, we don't believe. I, and I would add to that, I guess, because we are a people that we'd like to think we're teachable. But we're self-serving at the end of the day. We will justify everything under the sun if we can. And anger, guys. Think about all the people who are incarcerated. If you took anger out of their situation before they got incarcerated, how many would be left? Anger and rage get us into trouble. Always. I've never heard someone say, I got angry and it was the best decision I made. Um, yeah, go ahead. And there may be a guilt component to the anger too. If it's speaking to you and you're in sin, that is damning and you get angry about that. Absolutely. We're, uh, the anger is produced because of conviction. If God is convicting you about something, you're going to get angry. Um, so uh, see if we can throw this slide up. Um, I came across this, uh, And see if you can relate. Um, There's no sound here, but uh, this could be your workspace. I told my um, I told myself one time when I was young, I'd never work in an office like this, and then I ended up working in an office like this, and um, and that's okay. This guy's trying to make copies, um, so he's printing to the printer, and I think we've all experienced the joy of working with technology, especially with copiers and printers. Pulls out the toner cartridge. And now he's angry. He found out there are other ways to get what's on your computer screen copied. And that is to bring your entire computer over and see if that will work. Um, Oops. I don't recommend that, but certainly I can understand that. Can't you? Um, That's what anger is, guys. Anger is this emotion that gets the best of us. Um, My question, I guess, with PowerPoint again, is um, when we get angry, when you and I get angry, how do we justify our anger? When you get angry, you get ticked off. And someone calls you on it. Why are you angry right now? What do we say? What's our, ju- what's our reasons? What is it? Not my fault. If they hadn't cut me off, if they hadn't done, you know, if they had, hadn't, you know, given me less fries than I ordered. I feel that anger is probably the biggest defense mechanism we use. Why, why do you think that? It's easy. It's quick. I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> and so how do, how, do, how do you justify it? 
Justify when, anger? Yeah, when you get angry and people say, boy, you know, surprise you got angry there. How do we justify it? Because we never say, you know, you're right. I shouldn't have gotten angry. We always have a reason. It wasn't my fault. No, I have learned to say, I need to just shut up and listen. And Wow, that's good. It's, it's hard. Yeah, it is, because I'm usually saying, you need to shut up. <laughs> right? When someone says, why are you getting angry? You just need to shut up right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you're right. It's so, it's like, it's like out of all the emotions in our in emotion, emotional bank, that one's like almost at the front all the time. Like, yes. use me, use me, use me. Well, I've got 10 brothers and five oh, sisters, gosh. so My goodness. It, we're quick to anger. Whew. Yeah, that, um, I will say this too, out of all the emotions that we have to pull from, I think we get angry because, because I think, and, and maybe some of you that could do some research on this, it makes us feel good, right? There, there's power in anger. Cut me off, I'll show you. And we, we feel, we've, we become, it's like a drug. We feel invincible, don't we? Get, you, we, get, we get angry. and It's not until we've gotten off of that high do we realize that the wake of destruction we've left in our path. Um, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Um, these are some justifications that, that I have um, that I thought might help you. Um, I think one more. Uh, they made me do it. Uh, I can't help it. It's just who I am. Did you ever hear someone say that? I just, just who I am. Just born with a short temper. Uh, they usually throw their heritage in there somewhere um, or where they grew up. I grew up in the East Coast, and so I heard a lot of that. Of course, you're from New York. You should get angry. It's, a, it's kind of part of your right as to live in New York. Um, Irish or Italian, uh, you, you know, yeah, what, what do you expect? You know? And so we justify. Now, think about that. I can't help it. It's just who I am. Okay, well, well if that's the case, then why wouldn't God say in his word somewhere, be quick to speak, uh, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry, unless you are from the East Coast. <laughs> unless you're, you know, born in, in Naples, I don't, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it, unless, you're, unless you have justification, we, we don't have justification, but we seem to, it's, someone told us along the way, somewhere someone told us, that's okay for you to use that excuse. And my guess is, for some of us that have short tempers, we learned it from mom or dad. They got angry and they just, we, we, they modeled how to do it. And though it was ineffective and we all know that, it's just easy to get angry. Um, anger is an emotion and God gave us our emotions. And so I justify it that way. But guys, God also, uh, our emotions also include uh, jealousy, uh, lust, hatred. Those are all emotions. God's not too pleased with any of those. Um, God and Jesus got angry. I've heard that one over and over and over again. Well, God and Jesus got angry. Therefore I can get angry. Okay, that's fine. We'll pause there and just see what they got angry about. Yeah. Well, I was going to say one of the deceptive parts about anger is a lot of times it's that first emotion you go to. And sometimes it's actually successful because in a confrontation it's, you know, gets to where you want from A to B the quickest, quickest way. And then you think that's the way to resolve things when truly it's not. It, it you get what you up. want because people give in or. Yeah, because a will, you know, one person's will over another or, yeah. you know, this, that and the other. Um, yeah. Confrontations, you know, like you said, being from New York, being from Chicago, that's something I learned. And it's not the right way, but that's how, you know, what I saw. Yeah. And, and let me clarify, too, for us that grew up maybe East Coast or, or Chicago area. Um, there's nothing wrong with getting excited. There's nothing wrong with passion. I'm a big fan of arguing your point passionately. Some people have confused that with anger. I don't know why. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, but we all know when we get angry, when we flip that switch and we turn that corner, that where anger gets the best of us. Yeah. We get angry because we don't get our own way. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and we justify it. We justify it till we're blue in the face. And God says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And so I want to camp out on that very last point, which is, well, God and Jesus got angry. They did get angry. In fact, take your Bibles, turn to chapter 7 of Psalms. Go to Psalms chapter 7. Let me just highlight a couple of examples of them getting angry. Psalm, uh, book of Psalms, middle of your Bible. Psalm 7, I believe. Uh, 
Psalm 7, look at verse, verses 10 and, and 11. Psalm 7, verses 10 and 11. David says, uh, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Now listen to this. God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. Uh, the word there is, is wrath. Um, some might say anger. God has indignation, David says, every day. See, and here's the confusing part, I guess, is, is it possible for an almighty, holy God to be angry, righteously, and yet loving at the same time? Can he accomplish that? Uh, you'll recall in the book of Joshua, I believe chapter 7, again, uh, God sends uh, um, Joshua through the promised land, and he says, you know, the, the uh, battle of um, the walls came down on Jericho. So they march around seven times, the walls come down. And before they go in, God says to Joshua, hey, before you guys go in, tell your men not to take certain things. Don't plunder the city. Israel, it was common in that time when you conquered a city, you would take the whole city captive, men, women, and children, and their possessions. And often it would booty, plunder, you would just take it. And you would take it as, as a victory, as, as rewards, as trophies. So God said, in this particular case, don't take certain things. Well, there was a guy there that went in, part of the Israelites, named Achan, and Achan took some things. And it's a fascinating account in Joshua 7 because, because Joshua didn't know about it. So Achan steals this stuff, goes into his tent, and again, Israel's probably a million at this point. Add the women and children, probably close to two million people. So one guy out of two million people or so takes some stuff. No one's going to find out. Skimming a little off the top. Just, just cutting a little bit of the corner. Even though you know you shouldn't do it. Who's going to find out? Who cares? Hides it under his tent. Buries it in his tent. Goes about his business. And God says to Joshua, I am so angry with Israel right now. Not with just Achan, but with the entire nation of Israel. I am angry with you. Joshua's like, God, what do we do? I, I, I can't figure this out. And God says, there's sin in the camp and you better get rid of it. Well, right before then, Joshua, he's just conquering city after city after city. And they run against this little podunk village AI, little town, little village AI. And the men, spies come back and they say, Joshua, we got this one. Like, we'll, like, we'll be done with this before lunch. So Joshua says, great, good, good, you know, let's send like two, three thousand guys. Don't send the whole army. Send two, three thousand. Just, you know, just get your B team out there. Get the JV guys, right? Just let them go. Experience some war. They go up to fight AI and these little warriors, these, these backwoods warriors run these unbelievably powerfully strong Israel warriors off their hill. And as they're running down off the hill, 36 men die. They kill 36 of the Israelites. Boom, boom, boom. And basically, this, these guys come back to Joshua like, we don't know what, we don't, we, don't, we don't get it. We just got hammered up there. And that's when Joshua goes to God and says, God, I thought that you wanted us to take the north and the south and conquer the promised land. I thought we were doing what, and God says, there's sin in the camp and you better get rid of it now. And God was mad. He was ticked. Righteous anger. So they, they, it's a phenomenal story, but they take lots, right? And they gather the 12 tribes. And you can imagine Achan comes out and he's like, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. Joshua's on his high horse, wants to get all the people together, you know? And so Joshua's like, tribe of Benjamin, tribe of Levi. And, and, and so tribe of Judah and, and, and Achan, I believe, was the tribe of Judah. And so, you know, he's standing in the tribe. And again, probably tens of thousands in that tribe. And so Joshua says, you know, all the other 11 tribes except for this tribe, go. You're, you're done. We're done with you. And Achan's in the tribe that has to stay. But again, several thousand, tens of thousands. Achan's like, uh, you know, what are the odds he's going to? And so Joshua starts going family by family. You can go, you can go, you can go. And he gets to Achan's family and he says, you stick around for a little bit. Long story short, he says, what have you done to us? More so, what have you done to God? And here's the key. Achan comes clean. Achan says, I've done it, I, I confess, I messed up, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against you guys. And in this particular case, and I don't want to get into to 
God's forgiveness and how the, all that works. But in this particular case, what had been done had been done. The judgment had already been cast. Achan's fate had already been decided whether he was going to confess or not. His kids come running back with the stuff and they say, look, yeah, it's right here. And whether they knew about it or not, we're still undecided on that. But Joshua says to the nation, gather Achan and his family, all of his kids, all of his possessions, get the livestock even, and let's go. We're going up to the hill. And they went up to the hill and the nation of Israel took rocks and they stoned every last one of them to death. Oxes, cows, chickens getting hit with rocks. Why? And guys, you can't deny the fact that in that that particular encounter, God was angry. Probably the most famous case of anger we see is in Matthew chapter 21, where Jesus goes where? Goes into the temple. They're having a little farmer's market. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. Flips over tables. Money's going everywhere. People's livelihoods are being let out of their cages and they're flying all over the place. And people are getting angry at Jesus. It's a great encounter. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to get angry. People are getting very angry at Jesus, but he's getting just as angry at them. Righteous anger. So so ask yourself this, I guess. If you're one of those that has a short temper, you struggle with anger, ask yourself this. In the past week of my life, in the past month of my life, the times I've gotten angry, has it been righteous anger? Well, what is righteous anger? It's when your heart aligns with God's heart and you get angry over the things God 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 gets angry over. So when's the last time you got angry over the 40 plus million babies who have never caught a breath of life because of abortion? When's the last time you got angry because you saw something on TV of a, a little child starving to death and you got angry over that? When's the last time you got angry because you drove around downtown Phoenix and you saw all the homeless and you thought, why isn't someone doing something about that? Righteous anger. In fact, can I just gently flip it and say this? If you hear statistics or you hear cases or you hear people share about their, their tragedies and, 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 you know, they're impoverished or disenfranchised or the injustices that are taking place around the world and you don't get angry. Something needs to be swept up in your, in your worldview here, folks, and, and need, I need to challenge you. You should get angry over those things. Why? Because my guess is God's angry over those things. My guess is God's not a big fan of seeing genocide and infanticide all around the world. My guess is God's not a big fan of drug deals going south and people killing each other. Little kids walking around with AK-47 shooting each other. God's not a big fan of that. And if that doesn't make you angry, then maybe your heart isn't aligned with God. Maybe my heart isn't aligned with God's. Because guys, if I check my anger list over the past seven days, 14 days, here's what I've gotten angry over. Locking my keys in my car. That just drives me crazy. Because I'm late, I gotta be somewhere, and I shut the door, and then, you know, it's that last second, like I just grab and I can't grab it. And I hear the click, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That gets me angry. People that don't drive like me get me angry. I'll use a number of driving illustrations here because the whole driving thing gets me angry. Um, uh, that guy up there, that, that would get me angry. Technology gets us angry. Um, last night, Caden, uh, my 12-year-old, is wrestling Bailey, my 8-year-old, and my 12-year-old pinned my 8-year-old down and tickles him until he pees his pants. I'm watching the debate. I'm trying to focus. I got two kids over here laughing, laughing, laughing. Then, uh uh-oh. What? Bailey just peed his pants. Are you kidding me? Got angry at both of them. Eight years old. You know, eight years old. Five minutes later, true story. Five minutes later, Malia, my six-year-old, seven-year-old, just had a birthday on Sunday. Malia, my seven-year-old. Uh, is is doing her homework, first grade homework, has to identify 10 objects in the house, solid, liquid, or gas. I don't know what they're teaching kids nowadays, but she 
she had to do it. So daddy, what's a solid liquid or gas, right? I'm like, well, how, why is this your homework? Why is the teacher explaining to you? Anyway, besides the point. So I, she comes up to the table and she says, I said, knock on it. Is it hard? She said, yeah. I said, well, it's a solid. Okay, well, fine. So write down tables, right? So write down table. And then I said, well, she says, well, how do you spell solid? And I said, Malia, it's right there on your paper. But nonetheless, it's S-O-L-I-D. Okay. She goes in and I'm watching, again, I'm focused on the debate. I'm trying to figure things out. Um, I'm learning about countries and all this kind of stuff. And so she comes up and, and she, she knocks on the stairs, right? And the stairs are hard again. And so she comes back to me and says, um, Daddy, the stairs are hard again. And I'm like, great, honey, that's, that's great. And she says, well, what is it? And I said, will you tell me what it is? And she says, well, it's a solid. I said, great, honey, great. How do you spell solid? So I grabbed the I grabbed her I grabbed her homework, and I said, "It's right here, Malia. S O L I D." I'm, I'm focused here, right? I mean, so no kidding. Gosh, true story. Um, so, so, I'm, so I'm watching the debate again. Five minutes later, I don't hear any knocking. I don't hear any pitter-pattering, you know, and so I, look, I just happened to glance over the kitchen table. She's at the kitchen table with her head down. She's been doing this for five minutes. Her head is down like this, and she's whimpering, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, what, you know, what, what, I, I said, tears, Malia, that's a liquid. No, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that. So I said, I said, what, Malia, why are you crying? And she said, because I forgot how to spell solid and you got mad at me. And I was like, oh my gosh, now I'm angry at myself. Now I'm mad at myself for getting, it's a tough night last night. And guys, I can go back through my week. I can go back through my day and look at every time I got angry over the past 30 or so days, 40 days, 60 days. And I'm not, I'm not sure if even one of the times I got angry was a righteous kind of anger. But they were unrighteous. And God's saying, listen, if you struggle with anger to the point where you're getting mad at a little kid or you're getting mad at, at the driver next to you, or what do you think is going to happen when I challenge you to change your life and your lifestyle based on what my word's telling you? How, do you, how, do you, how are you going to react to that? And guys, bring it all the way back home to what we're discussing here, which is do I want to live the life of a hypocrite and justify it or do I want to make some changes in my life and submit, albeit hard, but I'm going to do that? Um, there's a comment over here, so let me get to that and then, uh, then have you just, turn. Just two things. Yep. <clears throat> one, one of the things that I thought of when you were talking about the excuse that Jesus got angry. Sure. Um, yes, uh, somebody says to me, well, Jesus got angry. Look what he did to the tax collectors. And my response would be, hey, that's a great idea. Let's head for the IRS and really wreck the joint. Yeah, let's just go, go after them. Yeah. The second point is one thing that really makes me angry. I get up and I go on the computer, and every day for the past two weeks, there's another item about a 12-year-old girl being kidnapped and killed. Yeah. And it's like, what is going on here? I'm angry at that. That I'm angry about. I, I think God's angry about that too. I really do. Um, guys, I really think, you know, we're, we're, uh, the, the church today is kind of cha- uh, being cast, I guess, into this light of all we do is social justice and all we do is causes and whatnot. And so we do need to bring it back to center, which is, no, we want to be biblically accurate. We want to be theologically correct. But we want to care about the things God cares about. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about widows and orphans. If you don't care about widows and orphans, you're not caring about what God cares about. Out of all the things he could have picked in terms of what's pure and undefiled religion, he picks two groups of people, orphans and widows. Guess what still exists among us today? Orphans and widows. What have you done lately for a widow or for an orphan? And so don't, please don't live your life justifying your life away in a comfortable setting, getting angry whenever you want. And claiming that God's making a difference in your life. And that's what people are seeing today, especially our younger generation. They're seeing people, men and women, your age and my age, walking around claiming to know Christ and it doesn't show up. 
And so at the very least, James is saying, quick, hear God's word, hear it, and then just massage it a little bit, meditate on it, really kind of get into what is God saying. And then thirdly, then don't get angry when God challenges you to improve your life. Uh, In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, if you have a chance this week, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And what I'm talking about in terms of getting angry at God is this. Jesus comes along. It's the famous Sermon on the Mount. And if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus talks about six things. Just, just six things in that whole, in those three chapters. Anger, sexual lust, divorce, dishonesty, retaliation, and hatred. And let me repeat those. Jesus speaks about anger, sexual lust, divorce, dishonesty, retaliation, and hatred. And Jesus, you can imagine, comes at all of those and says, if you're doing any of those, you need to change your lifestyle. He starts with anger and he says, he says, I'll just blow this whole thing up. You say that murder is wrong and and you're right. In verse 21, I think of Matthew 5 says, thou shall not murder. And so we read that and that's not a problem for most of us. There will be more people living that don't kill than kill. So we read the do not murder. We check that off and think I'm doing, I got this Christian thing nailed down. And then Jesus says, but, and let me give you three buts here. He says, if you get angry at your brother, you're, you're guilty of the the same uh, consequence, if you will, spiritually speaking of murder, and you'll be held before the court, a local court, usually made up of six, seven people in your village or your town. He says, if you're angry at your brother, you go before the court. Then he says, if you call your brother Raka, which is, is, um, is, is stupid head, <laughs> really. If you call your brother, your, your friend, your neighbor Raka, stupid head, you'll go before the Supreme Court, not the local court. He ratcheted it up and said, you'll go before the Supreme Court. Getting angry at someone is one thing, but then calling them out was another step, a level of anger. And Jesus says, you'll go before the Sanhedrin. Seventy people now will decide your fate. Then he says in Matthew 5, I believe 22, he says, but if you, if you call your brother fool, which was one of the highest insults you could give someone in the first century, you'll be cast into the fiery hell, basically, he says. Getting angry, guys, Jesus says, is as damnable as murder. And then, he, and then he goes through all things. He goes through sexual lust. And then he goes through divorce and dishonesty and retaliation. And then he ends and he wraps it all up with hatred. Jesus says, go back to James and listen to what I'm saying. Be quick to hear what I'm saying. Be slow to speak about it. Don't justify your actions if they're contrary to what I'm telling you. And then be slow to get angry at me. Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Just take those six things alone and throw them into your life right now. And if you and I did those six things well, we didn't get angry. We didn't gravitate towards porn and affairs and adultery. We didn't uh, get divorced as much as the rate is right now amongst Christian couples. We didn't seek to be dishonest with our employers or our neighbors or our friends. We didn't retaliate when our knee-jerk reaction was just to, when someone cut us off. I saw a video, just, just I was looking for videos about anger, and the first one that came up was a, a guy on his motorcycle, and he was in between, you know how they ride in between us? And that just, oh my gosh. How many of you secretly wish someone opens their door, right? You're not going to say it. You know you're not going to say it. And for the motorcycle riders out there, you get angry at us, right? Because we, we cut in and, you know, and it's, it, it's a marriage that's rough between motorcyclists and car drivers. Anyway, he's at a stoplight. She's at a stoplight. And he kicks her front fender. And instead of, like, pulling forward, she pulls into him. Throws him off his bike. He gets on top of her windshield. And she drive, pushes the pedal down and drives into like a pole. All because two people got angry at each other. They, 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 they acted in a way that they hated each other. Probably didn't even know each other. 
Jesus says, what, would di- what difference would it make in your life, in your church's life, in your city's life, in your country's life, if you just took six things, not 10, not 20, not 100, take six things and work on these six things, what difference would it make? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry because the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I wonder, I just wonder, um, if you look at Galatians chapter 5 and you look at the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit. Okay, so let's say you take those six things and you say, you know what, I don't want to work on those six things, Greg. I'm happy being angry with people and lusting and, and I'm on my fourth or fifth marriage and, and I hate people and I retaliate and I'm, I'm a cheater. So I don't want to work on those things. Okay, what about the fruit of the spirit? Galatians chapter 5, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, something else and self-control. Nine things James, uh, Paul gives us in Galatians 5. Why don't you work on those things? Because what he does is he contrasts those versus the deeds of the flesh. And guess what one of the deeds of the flesh is? Anger. There are plenty of places we could turn to that speak to this issue of when you think you're about to be right in being angry, God says, uh, I don't think so. Ephesians chapter 6. God says to dads, dads, do not provoke your children to what? Anger. We find it in James chapter 1. And I love Ephesians chapter 4, to be honest with you. Ephesians chapter 4 says, you can be angry. That's fine. Paul says, be angry, but don't what? Don't sin. Righteous anger. Get angry over the things God gets angry over. Lose getting angry over the things that God does not get angry over, that you and I shouldn't get angry over. See what difference it makes, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to make a comment. We're not responsible for what other people say or do, but as Christians, we are responsible for our response. Boy, you said a lot of things there, so let me back up here. One more time. We're not responsible for the things people say to us. Right. We're not responsible for the things people say or do to us. Yeah. But we are responsible for our response. Correct. You're exactly right. In fact, yesterday, uh, was it today? Yeah, so yesterday, uh, one of my students, um, we had free discussion. Uh, Well, I take that back. The student said, can I say something? One student made a comment about a video we were watching or something, and and the student took an interesting position on the video. and, And by most accounts, it wasn't the right position to take. Said it anyway, whatever, and I was letting her kind of finish her thought. Another student raised his hand and can I say, uh, and said, can I just, can I be frank right now? And I said, great, you know, seniors, they're about to enter into adulthood. I said, great, what do you have to say? And he turned to the other student and said, how stupid can you be right now? And I thought, oh my gosh, why did I let anyone talk? Why didn't I? Right, so, so. So anyway, long story short, she handled it wonderfully, by the way. I thought, they're going to climb over desks in a couple seconds here. And she just, she just kind of let it sink in. She was quick to listen. She was very slow to speak. In fact, I don't think she even batted an eyebrow. It just, it just kind of, she just listened and said something along the lines of, it sounds like we have different thoughts here. I was, I was amazed. I really was. I told her I was, I'm very impressed with her reactions because I know how I would have reacted. Anyway, so, he, so, so this student, to his credit, comes up to me at lunchtime and says, um, I blew it, right? <laughs> I was like, duh, you know, of course you blew it. But I didn't have to tell him that, right? He came up and admitted that. And so he said, what should I do about it? Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't, if, right after he gets through with the whole anger thing, he says, and if, you're, if you have a problem with your brother, before you come to worship, what should you do? Immediate reconciliation. Go reconcile it with your brother. Better you do that than come lay something on the altar that you don't even mean to, to worship or sacrifice. So, so today he comes up and he says, um, hey, can I say something to the class at large? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> kind of rolling the dice on this one. You're all stupid. I don't, I don't know what he's going to say. You know, go, oh my gosh, sure, go ahead. And I said, before we get going today, so and so wants to say something. He stood up and he said, um, "Listen, I want to say this to you personally, but I want to say this class at large. I I blew it yesterday. I got I let my anger get the best of me. I still hold my position. I still disagree. 
But I, I do not think you're stupid. And I apologize for that. And she accepted it. And we moved on. You can control what you can control. I, in fact, he came to me and said, what if I apologize to her? And I said, whatever she does with that is out of your control. You have to rectify the situation. And, and thankfully he did. So you're exactly right. You can only control what comes out of your mouth. And even you can't even control how it's received. Uh, let me just close with this then tonight. Um, go back to James chapter 1. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. When God's telling me to do something, when he's trying to change my life through his word, I need to hear his word. I need to massage it, find out where I'm, I'm not getting it. Slow to anger. And look what he says in verse 21. When I do that, then I can read verse 21 and apply it. See, if I don't, if I don't hear God's word, if I'm not quick to hear it and then, and then massage it and then, and then not get angry over it, if I'm, if I'm quick to justify and rebut God and say, no, 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 you don't understand, and I'm not going to apply verse 21. Because 21, James says, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, and in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. James is basically coming down hard on you and me now. And he's saying, listen, I don't care what the world is telling you to do. I'm telling you to do this. Humbly receive God's word, and for us as humans, humility is, is, is kryptonite. We, we struggle with it. So James says, humbly receive God's word. And as you're doing that, clean things up. Remove all filthiness and all that, all that remains of wickedness. And as you're doing that, humbly receive God's word. You've, you've seen this, you've heard this, you know, out with the old, in with the new, garbage out, garbage, or garbage out, good things in. You know, so, so we know, we know this. This is not brand new information. The challenge for you and for me tonight, guys, is I know what I need to do, God. This week, not next year, am I going to do it? Um, that's the challenge before us tonight. Am I going to do it? Well, I don't know, God, what you want me to change. Okay, then go back to Matthew 5, go to Galatians 5, and just start reading. I got to be confident that you're going to run across something that isn't up to, to code that God's going to want you to deal with. If, if you still don't think there's anything, just turn to the person next to you and just simply ask them, what should I deal with over the next week? What am I struggling with? What blind spots do you see in my life? They, they won't stop talking. They'll want you to be quick to hear them on that one. Let me just close with this. Um, if, if you want it, you can turn to Psalm uh, 119. Um, I love Psalm 119 only because it's uh, the longest psalm. And it speaks all the way through of God's holy word. I'm going to start in verse 33. I'll read a couple of passages and we'll close it up. Psalm, 30, psalm 119 starting in verse 33. David says this. He says, teach me, O God. The way of your statutes. And I will observe them to the end. Give me understanding. That I may observe your law. And keep it with all my heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments. For I delight in it. Incline my ear to hear your testimonies. And not to dishonest gain. God turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. And revive me in your ways. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Turn away my reproach which I dread, for your ordinances are good. Behold, God, I long for your precepts. Revive me through your righteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. God, thank you for your word and the time that these wonderful people and I have left on this planet. For some, it's weeks. For some, it's months. For some, it's years. May we be men and women of the Lord who care enough to do something with the time we have. God, I firmly believe that the, the best parenting I can do is to love you and to live that out. The best work I can do is to love you and live it out.
the best friendships I can have is because I'm loving you and living it out. The best marriage we can have is when our spouses see us loving you and living it out. I know that's, that's our heart here, Father. I, I'm convinced of that. These people wouldn't be here on a Tuesday night if it weren't. So by your grace, because we'll screw up again, and we'll come back to you seeking forgiveness, by your grace, Father, we will get up and try again. And we'll come back next week. We'll dive into your word again. See what you have for us. In the meantime, Father, be with us. Give us a safe journey home. Allow us to spend time with our family or friends as you would see fit. And we'll give you the praise in Christ's name. Amen. We'll see you next week.